0: During World War II, it was known as the Great War during the time, but World War II, Australia wanted to help the cause. And so they they wrote to the British Empire and they, they wrote to Great Britain and they said, you know, how can we help? What is it that we can do to contribute to the cause of war? To which Britain responded, build us ships. We need ships. Well, the Australians were not shipmakers. So they went about their normal business, not making ships. You'd think they'd be shipbuilders, right? I mean, they're kind of like in the middle of the water. But uh, nonetheless, they, they began to just go about what they knew how to do. They, they tilled the fields, they sowed seeds, they reaped harvest so that they could send food to the motherland. Grain was gathered It was put into sacks, it was taken down to the port, and it was was put there at the dock waiting for the ships that would deliver it, but no ships came because there was a shortage of ships, and in fact, the account of history goes that the ships never came, but the mice did, and the mice got into them, they found their way then. To the villages and town, and began spreading disease. Uh, a terrible disease cropped up during World War II in Australia because they were being carried around by these, these vermin. And some people were attacked by these diseases. Some of them even went blind because of the disease carrying rodents. All the time, Great Britain was saying, Ships, we need ships. In First Samuel, the prophet says, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifice as obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed than the fat of rams. Don't we all have a tendency to do that? We have a tendency to offer what we want to offer, to, to do what we want to do, to obey in the way that we want to obey, to make the sacrifices that we want to sacrifice. Not necessarily the sacrifice that is asked of us. I'm sure your children never did that. Right? Your children never do that. They never, they never. You tell them to do something, and, and when you come back to find out if they have successfully completed the assignment that you gave them, they're quick to say, Oh, Mom, Oh, Dad, Look, look at the good thing that I did. But that's not what I told you to do. You all give me this blank stare. I have no idea. My my children never do that kind of thing. I think we all have that within our heart. Well, I'll do this instead. I'll do do this good thing instead of obeying and kind of to make up for my disobedience. So as we think about this time of year, I think it is important for us to think about obedience. Uh, There is a degree to which that that many people, some, some who really are not not faithful to God in any other way, perhaps are offering things, r- religious gestures, good things, uh, uh, good for their fellow man. But we are called to obey. Our Lord calls us to obey, and at this time of year, at Christmas, the special season, may we not just be guilty of giving token allegiance to Jesus with the nice trap- trappings that elevate his birth but may we be may we be people who give what is required of us what should our response be to the truths of christmas well we we see a couple different responses a few different responses that we'll consider this morning to the birth of jesus and i think there's some parallels to even the ways that we might be tempted To respond, but above all, we have to understand that you and I should respond. We we must respond to Christ with obedience. We must respond to Christ with obedience. Is that the way the people in this passage responded to him? Well, some, but some not. We read together about the wise men in chapter 2, verse 1, and we see that Christ's birth was met by some with just interest. The wise men here in verses 1 and 2 are spoken of as being very interested in the birth of Jesus. Now, of course, you know there is no lack of myth about these wise men that came from the East. Traditionally, people speak of them as what? The the three wise men. In your manger scene at home, you probably have three wise men wise men. That's kind of typical of the way we speak of them, and there's actually no indication in the text that there were three. In fact, if we consider what we know about um, historical travel in those days, it is probably pretty safe to assume that there was an entire entourage. There was probably a caravan uh, that was traveling to, to greet this one Jesus. But of course, the notion of three comes from what? Right, the three gifts, right? You got it. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh, which are recorded here in the text for us. So this may sound unusual to you to bring these kind of gifts, but the fact is that they would have been fairly traditional gifts for someone in high society of that day to have presented to royalty. Gold, you know, you're familiar with, frankincense, and myrrh were kind of luxury items of the day, they were spices, uh, resin taken from plants in Arabia uh, or the Horn of Africa. they were used for incense, they were used for perfume, and these these kind of things and so these were these were gifts that showed the honor to the one that they were coming to visit now the Bible says remarkably little about these three men that 's why there 's this whole um, this whole cottage industry of of folklore that surrounds it, because really the text doesn't tell us a lot. There's a few different theories that Bible scholars have about who they all, who they were. Um, I happen to think that the most likely explanation is that they were Zoroastrian astrologers from from the uh, near from near Babylon, from that that region of the world. And the reason that they would have they would have been familiar with all of this is because you remember that some centuries back, Daniel had had a significant impact on the thinking of that area, of the uh, of those that were uh, highly influential. And of course, these men would have been from that class. They would have been very influential people. Is everyone Googled, googling Zoroastrian? Is that what's going on right now? Yeah, okay, so Zoroastrianism, right? It's a it's an ancient cult, is what it is. It's based largely in astrology. Um, now you're asking me to define something without notes in front of me, but, uh, but that's kind of what Zoroastrianism is. It's, it's, it's an ancient uh, belief system that's very mystical and rooted in, uh, in astrology. Does somebody else have something from Google to add to that? Because Google knows all. <laughs> um, so that's probably, probably these men were in that, in that tradition um, these would have been highly influential, they would have been the thinkers of that day, they were part of a class called Magi. In fact, Matthew actually uses the term in Greek Magoi, which is plural for, for Magi, uh, it's the Greek version. So this elite group was known for its history, for its astrology, for its medicine, for its, its natural sciences, they weren't really kings per se. Um, but they were definitely part of the ruling class. Um, now it says for us in our text in verse two, saying, "Where is he who is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him." So this this verb here, saying, is the idea. It's it's the idea of repeated action. So what seems to be happening is they are going from place to place to place, asking seeking, looking for this one who was born. They, they were eager to find him, and they were diligent in their search because they knew that, that he was the epicenter for the whole reason that they were making this, this long trip. I heard a story once of a couple of women who were having lunch at an elegant hotel. They were approached by a mutual friend, who, uh, uh, who 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 um, began to speak with them, and they they remarked that they were celebrating, "Oh, what are you celebrating? the friend said well we 're celebrating the birth of my baby boy. W- well, where is he oh you didn 't think I'd bring him along, did you right that that 's kind of the way we sometimes treat christmas it's like that's the the whole point of it is Jesus, but you didn 't think we 'd actually bring him along, did you uh, that's that's something that needs to arrest our attention the the, the diligence the interest with which these, these magi, these wise men, sought Jesus. But I would like to say this, interest is not enough. I mean, just being interested in who Jesus is as, as some sort of a, a novelty, as some sort of a, a great man, is, is not enough. And so, whether it's the wise men or it's us today, a commitment to Christ. As the Savior, the one who can save us from our sin, the one who was the eternal Son of God who came from heaven to earth is what is called for. Giving attention to a baby in a manger, even giving gifts at Christmas time, is, is not enough because Jesus is is the entire center of the gospel. I remarked earlier that we we celebrate the gospel every time we gather for worship. But this time of year, may we remember that this incarnation is when the gospel explodes on the scene of human history. And as we celebrate the birth of Jesus, we are really celebrating that God provided salvation. It's important for us to remember that. Token gestures are nice. They're recognized within our culture. But what really matters is understanding who Jesus is. Can I just um, give you a little opinion here? I don't really care if the cashier at Walmart or Target tells me Happy Holidays or Merry Christmas. I really don't give a rip. It just doesn't matter. And the reason for that is, if I get an unbeliever to simply acknowledge Christmas, are they really any better off? I mean, is there really anything substantively different? So, to me, it seems a bit futile to try to coerce businesses to acknowledge Christmas as if the mere acknowledgement of it somehow improves anything. An unbeliever is no less of an unbeliever for saying Merry Christmas than they are Happy Holidays or whatever they want to say. The important thing is the gospel. The important thing is Jesus, and those of us who are believers in the gospel should keep that as the primary attention. In fact, we should take opportunities to explain to people why this season is significant to us, sharing the fact that God became flesh so that we might have forgiveness of sin. And so perhaps you're inclined to celebrate Christmas, shopping, goodies, gifts, other trappings. The question is, have you ever experienced what Christmas is about? Do you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? Has there ever been a time where you have not just observed that baby in the manger, but you have, you have turned from your sin and depended on that one who was in the manger that grew up to be a man who sacrificed himself on our behalf? Have you humbled yourself? Have you repented of sin and turned to Jesus Christ as your only hope of salvation? Just prior to this in Matthew 1, we see in verse 21, he will, she will bring forth a son. He will call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. What was the purpose of Jesus coming to earth? It was much more than that we would have a nice story that would make us feel good and, and warms our hearts at this time of year. It was so that you and I could be saved from sin and hell. So have you ever accepted the gospel? Have you ever turned to Jesus Christ? But even today, if you have, if you have a testimony of there was a time when you have become born again, you have become uh, regenerated, converted by the gospel of Jesus Christ, what about you today? Is this a season that calls for renewed commitment Are you any better off than the curious bystander at the manger? Does Christ make a difference in our daily lives throughout the year? Let's be challenged at this time of year that Christ becomes more than a babe in a manger, that He becomes the Lord of our life. So Christ's birth was met by by interest, and in fact great interest from the wise men, but we see in verse 3 a character named Herod. And what we observe is that Christ's birth was met by some with hatred and jealousy. So in chapter 2, again, verse 3, we see that uh, Herod the king heard this and he was troubled. The idea of that word is shaken. He, he's, he was shook up about this. Now, this is Herod the Great. He was the first of several Herods. Um, And he heard about Jesus and was was troubled. Later in the text, he would actually take the drastic step of infanticide to eliminate any potential rival to his throne. This is actually a pretty irrational fear. History tells us that he was already sick and dying at this point. So a newborn child was no meaningful threat to his reign so this tells us he was a very disturbed man. He was a very wicked man. He was a very paranoid man. But there are still those who wish to obliterate the remembrances of who Christ is. The, the remembrances, even perhaps, of Christmas, that, that would resist the notion that we can we can do we can do Christmas without without Christ. Perhaps it seems offensive to you that God would place demands on our lives. Perhaps we're tempted to view Christ's expectations as a overreach. Perhaps some would even think of Christianity or the truth of Jesus as a threat. Jesus is the manifestation of God's love. John 3.16, of course, we all know, right? God loved the world so much that He gave His only begotten Son. Whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Romans 5.8, God demonstrated His own love toward us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. We ought not be threatened by Christ's birth, Christ's birth recognizing that He came to save us. He came to offer the very thing that we need. But, of course, if we are in rebellion against Him, if we are fighting against Him, the fact that He also will one day rule and reign threatens us. We saw that in our text last week. We see, thirdly, that Christ's birth is met by apathy on the part of some. In chapter 2, verse 4, we see the wise men coming to find this one who was born king of the Jews. And you notice in verse four it says, When he that is Herod had gathered all the chief priests and scribe scribes, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And in verse five, they tell him So chief priests and scribes, we actually we actually met these characters recently when we were studying the book of Acts, a little bit later chronologically, but the same same kind of group of people. Uh, this was the temple leadership. The scribes were the professional students of the law. They were likely Pharisees. Um, and they knew because they had studied the scriptures that Micah 5.2 affirmed where he would be born. Now, by the way, just let me give you a quick, quick sidebar here. The, the critics of Christianity will, will foist the charge that well, the prophecies, they were just vague and, and broad and people, people looked back at those and connected them to Christ and said, oh yeah, see, see Jesus fulfilled this prophecy, but they were, so, they were so vague and broad, people were just, no, actually, if you look at the prophecies themselves, you see them remarkably specific. And in fact, you see people even before Jesus had come on the scene understanding what these prophecies pointed to. I mean, here are people who outright reject Jesus as time moves forward, yet they knew what the prophets had said about where Jesus would be born from the prophet Micah. That's, uh, that's extra. That's for free. So they understood that where he was going to be born, they, they give this information to the king, but here's the strange thing. They didn't even trouble themselves to go seek out the one who had been promised for centuries. They knew he was there. They knew he had arrived on the scene. They knew where he would be. In this kind of religious climate, is it any wonder that Israel did not receive their Messiah? They missed it. They missed the big news. In December of 1903, the Wright brothers were finally successful in getting their flying machine off the ground. And so they sent a telegraph to their sister, Catherine. The telegraph read this way, quote, We have actually flown 120 feet, period. We'll be home for Christmas, period. Well, Catherine was tremendously excited. I mean, this was... This was a news flash, and so she took the telegraph, ran down to the editor of the newspaper and showed it to him, to which he responded, oh, that's nice. The boys will be home for Christmas. <laughs> kind of missed the point. And that's really what these, these leaders of the religion in that day, they missed the point. And so there's this apathy that is surrounding the birth of Christ on the part of some. May we not be guilty of that. May we not be guilty of getting so drawn into the festivities of the season that we we hardly even notice or care about the significance of Christ's incarnation. We see one other response to Christ's birth, and that is what we spoke of at the beginning that should be our response. Christ's birth is met by obedience on the part of some. I want us to go back to um, the the previous chapter, which we actually didn't read before. But you'll notice in the story here that um, Christ is born, um, Mary gives birth, they name him, and, and in verse 24, the very end of chapter 1, it says, Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and took to him his wife, and did not know her till he she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. We already read in chapter 2 the account of the wise men who were were spoken to directly by God giving instructions not to go back to Herod as they had been previously told but to to go home a different way. And both of these parties obey the word of the Lord. Joseph obeys in chapter 1. The wise men obey in chapter 2. They immediately respond to what God had told them. When we think about Christ and our response to Him, this really is the only appropriate response. This is the right thing for us to do, to to obey Christ. And so, no matter how many may choose to misuse or deny Christmas, may we keep our focus on being satisfied in worshiping Christ as we ought to, Not, not letting others' wrong responses affect us. And so, this morning, would ask us the question what difference has christ made in our lives what difference will he make this week how must we obey it's interesting how many times in the new testament uh, it's spoken of in terms of obeying the gospel so maybe Maybe you have wrestled with the gospel. Maybe you have thought about the good news about Jesus Christ who, who sacrificed himself and, and you're willing to accept it as a nice story, as a good truth even. But have you obeyed the gospel? What do you mean obey the gospel? What does that mean? Well, if we understand the gospel and, and we accept it intellectually, that's, that's part of it, but that's not the full picture. What we must do is put our dependence, transfer our dependence to Jesus Christ to turn from our sin and our way and to depend on Jesus Christ alone? Have you ever obeyed the gospel? my Christian friend, are you obeying him day by day? Are you living a life of repentance and faith? Are you obedient to Christ's command, seeking his face each day and submitting yourselves to? submitting yourself in the area that you must. What decision have you been avoiding that really, at this time of year, calls you to decision, to, to give your time to the work of God, to, to join a local assembly, to, to recommit to, to shepherding, to discipling your family? I can think of no better time for us to commit ourselves to obedience to Christ than this time of year. Martin Luther writes this poem, Ah, dearest Jesus, holy child, make thee a bed soft, undefiled within my heart, that it may be a quiet chamber kept for thee. My heart for very joy doth leap, my lips no more can silence keep. I too must sing with joyful tongue that sweet ancient cradle song. Glory to God in highest heaven, Who unto man his Son hath given. While angels sing with pious mirth, a glad new year to all on earth. Father, as we think about this time of year, may we be challenged to be obedient. May we be reminded that our response to Christ as a child is not merely to appreciate it or to be aware of it or to acknowledge it, but to bow the knee of obedience. And Lord may even this morning in our own hearts we do that as we reflect on this time of year. I am going to give-